Great day. Amen. 11.32. Hmm. Did somebody say, you got this? <laughs> Just don't bring me a diaper. Don't do that, okay? <clears throat> Though I've done that too, so. You know, I've always been of the persuasion that on Mother's Day and Father's Day in the church, I think we tend to have it backwards. On Mother's Day, we preach to the ladies, and we really should be preaching to the men on Mother's Day. We should remind them how to treat a lady. <laughs> we should remind them how they are to treasure her and how they are to love her and to be sensitive to her needs. And all the women in the house said, amen. That's the strongest amen we've had all morning. And then on Father's Day, I think we should preach to the women. <laughs> Easy, guys. Preach to the women. Remind them you know, to how to honor their man, how to care for the uniqueness of his needs, and how to be in su a support to him in his rightful place in leadership in the home. And all the men said... Didn't know it had that much reaction. In my brief moments that I had this morning, I, I'm going to do my best to um, not hold you too long. I want to talk to you from the fourth chapter of Proverbs in a little message that I've given a title to this morning, and it's titled this, Listen to Your Papa. I told that to a couple of guys at the early, in the early part of the morning here that were in the sanctuary, and uh, Said, I'm going to be preaching today on listen to your papa. Said, let me go get my kids. Just a minute. Let me make sure my kids are here so they want their kids to know. Have you ever noticed how little children will just sometimes ask you question after question after question? They just pepper you with questions and they're relentless. Have you ever had that experience when you had little kids before? I read a story about a little four-year-old uh, who did that to his mom. And he was just, you know, nonstop with the questions, just driving her crazy. He says, Mommy, where do babies come from? And not quite sure she wanted to get technical with her son just yet. She replied, um, the stork. That's what she said. Okay, okay. M Mommy, who keeps people from robbing our house? That's the police, honey. That'd be the police. Okay. Mom, if, if our house was on fire, who would save us? Uh, that, would be, that would be the fire department, sweetheart. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mommy, where does food come from? Well, the farmers grow the food, honey. That's where the food comes, comes from, the farmers. Oh, okay, okay. Mommy, what? I just got one more question. What is it now? Then what do we need daddy for? So the question that remained for that four-year-old was this. If daddy wasn't necessary for all those things, what good was he? And unfortunately, church, that has become the overall attitude of our society. Men in general, and dads in particular, are starting to be considered irrelevant when it comes to the home. There was even a bumper sticker some time ago that said, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. 
And it happens in our media. A few years ago, a young actress that we know as Jennifer Aniston from the popular sitcom Friends made this statement. She said, fathers were often, fathers were often inconvenient, and when it came to child rearing, they could be considered optional. In the entertainment industry, we've gone from father knows best to daddy's an idiot. That's how far we have come in so many years. And sitcoms, movies, and even cartoons are guilty of portraying fathers as mindless or, or humorous, and at times even stupid is the way it comes across. However, the book of Proverbs paints an entirely different picture. And if you have met me there at the fourth chapter of Proverbs, I want us to look at it for just a few minutes. Now, granted... The writer of Proverbs is a father writing to his son, but this father is not just any father. He was a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. And so if you're taking notes today, I'm going to have you just jot down a few of the references that I'm going to refer to quickly. And and God's wisdom throughout Proverbs about fathers looks something like this. This is what the Lord thinks of fathers. If you look at Proverbs 6.20, it says, obey your father's commands. Proverbs 23, 22, listen to your father who gave you life. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction. Proverbs 4, 1, my children, listen when your father corrects you and pay attention and learn good judgment. And of course, what I'm using as the text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, if you'll follow with me. For I too was once my father's son... Tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. So when you look at that passage alone, you can see that God is loudly declaring to us that fathers are critical. They are very necessary to the home. They are extremely important to God. Because all throughout Proverbs, God teaches every son and daughter these things. Listen to your dad. Listen to your papa. Your dad has things to tell you. He has things that you need to hear. Now, why would God go to such effort to tell children to do this? Why command them to pay attention to their dads? Because that's what it is. It is a command. Well, it's because of the tendency especially of teenagers, to believe that their dads don't know anything. I know that's news to most of you. You've not encountered that before. But Mark Twain famously said it this way. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. How many of you, like me, have adult children and you've gone through that phase when you were just, you know, you were absolutely clueless, but suddenly it's, it's as if to them you got a lot smarter. Than, how many of you have gotten smarter in the last few years? Let me see your hand. You know, what, you know what that's like. Well, that's just all part of raising kids. Solomon knew that there would be the propensity for tension to be between father and children. That's why he put this here. If you've ever had to say no to your teenager or tell them they couldn't or shouldn't be doing some particular thing that you knew was damaging to them or harmful to them, but it was something they wanted to do, then you probably know what it is to experience just a slight bit of resistance. I thought that was a polite way of putting it. How many know what I'm talking about? 
Have you all had children? It never takes teenagers very long to come to the conclusion, Dad, that you know, you're, you're missing some clues here. You're clueless. And they think that the only mission that you have in life is to make their life miserable. Am I right about it? Either you're so nervous with me talking about this or you haven't had kids. One of those is true. I'm not sure which. Well, Solomon knew this. And that's why we have the fourth chapter of Proverbs. And though I'm only touching on parts of it today, I encourage you to go home this afternoon and read the entirety of the chapter, the whole of the fourth chapter of Proverbs. It's the perfect thing for you to read today. Recent research indicates that dads are a vital source for their children. This is extremely encouraging, but it also needs some explanation. And I want you to don't Judge what I'm saying until I get finished with it. I'm going to lose a couple of you with these statements, but I want you to hear me all the way out, so stay with me. Research indicates that the best fathers are the biological fathers. That's one of the reasons why God hates divorce. I want you to know God hates divorce, and I'm against it. And I'll do everything I can to stand against it. God hates it, and I'm against it. Because... God knew that it puts stepfathers in a very difficult position. They generally aren't as equipped as the biological father could be to supply exactly what that child needs. Now, don't turn me off yet. However, as much as I appreciate statistics, and as difficult as it is for stepfathers to step in and shape the children that are now in their lives, the one thing that statistics don't take into account is the power of Almighty God to fix what is broken in people's lives. A biological father is the best father for the child. I believe that. But a father, a stepfather... Or an adoptive father who heeds the things that I'm going to tell you today will have God's power to undo the damage that not having the biological father in the picture can create. Now listen to me carefully. Please don't get turned off by all this yet. Because I know some of you have got all kinds of circumstances and situations and your life experience that you've brought into the room today. So listen to me all the way to the end. But I'm going to tell you this. My father, who I miss terribly, passed away in the year 2000. My dad knew me. He knew me. He knew my construct. He knew my makeup. He knew, he knew how I was wired. And my father, the one thing he could do for me in one phone call, he could, he could get me realigned just like that. And sometimes it was just to make me laugh. Sometimes I, it's as if the picture I have in my mind of my own dad, it's like a big old valve right here, a pressure valve. He knew how to put his hand on that pressure valve because, believe it or not, I'm capable of ratcheting up the tension pretty high in my life and yours and everybody else's. And he knew how to take that and release that valve. Dan, chill out and help me get a grip on life and move forward. Dads know how to do that. They know their children. They know how to help them. They know how to help them navigate through life. Sons learn about male responsibility, achievement, suitable assertiveness, and independence best from their fathers. Daughters who enjoy their fathers experience a healthier femininity. They feel worthy of love and they're more able to trust the men that they marry. Fathers protect their daughters from abuse and protect their sons from violence, protect their wives from assault, and even protect their neighbors from intrusion and disorder. 
Fathers know how to provide stimulating and exciting rough and tumble play, but within limits. Children learn that biting and kicking and other forms of physical violence are not acceptable. They learn when enough is enough, and that makes me think about when we brought our kids and put them in the nursery when they were little, and we, <laughs> we would get them, pick them up afterwards, and you would say, why, 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 does, why does she smell like vinegar? Do you know why she smelled like vinegar? Because what they did is when your child would bite, they would put a little touch of vinegar right there to let them know that was not acceptable. So that, if your child smells like vinegar, they've been biting in the nursery, okay? That's what's been going on. They just put a little something unpleasant to let them know you shouldn't be doing that. So I've got a big bottle at home. I, I just tried to use it. A study among Texas prisoners showed that 90% of inmates did not learn to play as children or played abnormally. And the vast majority of those prisoners had little or no relationship with their fathers. Fathers stress the survivor skills of competition and challenge and initiative, risk-taking and independence. That's what the dads in this research brought to the table. In contrast, mothers brought an emphasis on social integration and relationships and personal well-being. These researchers found that fathers stressed justice, fairness, and duty based on rules, whereas mothers stressed sympathy, care, and helping based upon relationships. Children learned the healthy use of power from their father, and they learned the power of love from their mother. Because of that truth, researchers Wesley and Epstein said that, the only, said that only this kind of parenting produces predominantly emotionally healthy children. When fathers are involved with their children, those children can expect improved verbal skills, problem-solving ability, academic achievement, proficiency in math, and in reading. But the most striking effect, particularly for sons, is a child's increase in empathy and compassion. Males who exhibit antisocial and criminal behaviors almost never have good relationships with their fathers. These are just some of the reasons, all of these things I've mentioned, that God declared in his word that he desired to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Check it out in Malachi 4, verse 6. And what all this tells me is this. God believes in fathers. Can I hear an amen? amen? God has hardwired men to have a powerful impact upon their children. And he's telling us that the, that the presence of godly fathers can make all the difference in the potential and in the future of their children. And so is this message just to the fathers? It is to the fathers. But it's a message to the mothers as well. And the message is this. Let Dad, be dad. You're not hearing me. Or you don't want to hear me. Let dad be dad. God designed him to be dad to those children. Now, God is looking to create successful fathers. How many dads in the room want to be a successful father? Whether you're 20 or you're 80, it doesn't matter. When God gives you that child, I looked at those children being brought before him, before the Lord this morning. When he gives you that child, it's like something gets downloaded or installed in you, this natural instinct that you want that child to thrive. You would do anything in the world for that child to thrive. When that child is thriving, life is good. When the child is not thriving, all of life can go bad. How many know what I'm talking about? 
So I know you want to be a successful father. Let me give you a couple of things before we close. We already mentioned Malachi 4.6. It implies first that dads are successful when they turn their hearts to their children. They spend time with their kids. That's the kind of father God calls men to be. A father who wants to be there for his children. But if we're going to be successful fathers, there's one more thing we need to do. A father who wants to be successful will make sure that his first priority is serving the Lord Jesus. His first priority is serving the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus said it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I want you for just a moment to turn with me to an Old Testament passage. 1 Kings chapter 11. I'll start at verse 9. I'm going to illustrate this from the Bible in a very unique way. As you're turning there, let me remind you that the majority of the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. He was famous for being the wisest man who ever lived. But at this point in his life, this wisest man did a very dumb thing. He got God very angry. Follow with me as I read. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Solomon made God so angry that he was going to tear the kingdom away from him. But notice the next verse in verse 12. But for the sake of who? But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. So Solomon has disobeyed God. He has made God so angry that he intended to punish him by tearing up his kingdom. But because Solomon's father was David, a man after God's own heart, God said he wouldn't tear up Solomon's kingdom during his lifetime. But wait, there's more. Verse 13. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. So in other words, Solomon angered God to the point where the kingdom was going to be torn away during his son's lifetime, but even then, not completely. Solomon's son would be left with one tribe, Judah. Why? Why was he doing that? Because for the sake of the boy's grandfather. Because David had sought first the kingdom and, his, and the righteousness of God, and he brought the blessings of God upon both his son and his grandson. Listen to it. Here's the deal. If you, as a father... Make God the first priority in your life. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, your dedication to God, hear me, hear me, will create an umbrella effect for the whole of your family. Even if they mess up and do terrible things with their lives, God will still, for your sake, place an umbrella of protection over your children and your grandchildren. That is essentially what Exodus chapter 20 is saying. Exodus 20, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. 
even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I have one question for you. You think it doesn't make a difference how you live? Yes, it makes a difference how you live. You can be stupid in your life if you want to. You can do things that are in direct disobedience to God. And your sin will not only damage your life, it will damage the life of your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, on and on and on and on. Think about that the next time you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong in God's sight. However, if that has been the cycle in your family, in your past, the good news is this. You can break that cycle. I said you can break that cycle. By choosing to be a father who's going to live according to the mandates of Scripture and live according to the law of God and to the will of God. But that part of the Ten Commandments is promising in this. If you love God and keep his commandments, he'll not only bless you, he'll bring his blessings upon your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren for a thousand generations. Somebody ought to say, bless the Lord for that. Isn't that what you want for your children? Don't you want to leave a legacy of godly living and righteousness, knowing that it has a powerful effect? Those aren't just words. That's God's promise. That's God's promise. He will see to it. He will care to it. I want to live in such a way that I know that God will protect my kids after I die. It's the fatherly instinct in me that I know you have as well. That would be the ultimate inheritance to leave for our children. Far better than any money that you could leave them. Far better. It is so important that we leave a legacy. A legacy that says we laid a good foundation. We built it on the solid rock Christ Jesus. And we gave it all we had day after day. You know, Matthew 7 reminds us that the wise man builds his house upon the rock. While the foolish man builds his house upon the, the sand. And when the rains and the storms come, the house built by the wise men on the rock will stand, while the house built by the foolish men on the sand will crumble. Live your life in such a way that everything will not crumble when you are gone. I think that includes your work. Last Wednesday night, our choir, musicians, singers, sang, and it's almost 100 folks in the choir, sang at the... Um, District Council of the Assemblies of God for the North Texas District down in uh, Sagu and Waxahachie. And I walked in there. Becky and I arrived just about service time. We'd run into some traffic. And we got to sit and enjoy it and, and just in, in a, a worship with them. And, you know, during my time as the worship pastor of Bethesda for 33 years, I'd taken the choir several times to district council, many times to general councils through the years. When that service ended Wednesday night, I chose to make my way to the front to shake hands with a couple of folks that I wanted to see, and, and I was stopped on the way up uh, by two or three people who said, so wasn't that your choir? Weren't you the one who had, were the director for so long for that choir? Such a blessing they were to me. Yes, that's true. Weren't they wonderful? And they were absolutely magnificent. I thank you, choir musicians, for what all you did last Wednesday night in leading the district council. And then I got asked the question, so what's that feel like? What's that feel like when you're not leading it anymore? Is it, you know, is it weird? What's it feel like? I said, so you're basically asking me, 
Would I rather come in here relaxed and sit in a nice seat, enjoy it, and just soak it all in? Or would I rather be up there sweating, dealing with all the issues and the sound problems and the personnel issues and da-da-da-da? Which would I rather do? No, it's not been hard. No, it's not been hard. It was actually wonderful. And I say one of the reasons it's wonderful is because God has blessed this fellowship with incredible leadership with Brent and Janice Brunson. Let me tell you what would have been the worst thing that could have happened to me. Is when I stepped off that, well, it used to be a podium because I'm shorter than Brent. When I stepped off that podium three years ago, the worst thing that could have happened is if the whole music department would have fallen apart. You know what that would have confirmed? That for 33 years, I built that program on me and not on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, whatever you've been doing for a long time, if you're thinking it would crumble, if you're, if you're removed from it, you've built it on the wrong thing, dear friend. If it crumbles when you're gone, you've built it on the wrong thing. Nothing is more affirming to me Nothing is more joyous to me than when I see Pastor Brent able to take this music department to places I couldn't or wouldn't or whatever. Doesn't matter. He, he's taken to, uh, to completely different places and people want to say, what does that feel? I wish I could just open my heart and let you get a real good solid peek of what I'm really thinking. What I really feel when I see success on this platform with this music ministry. You know what I feel? Go! You go! Sing! That's what I feel inside. And I'm thrilled because you know what it says to me? It wasn't built on Dan Smith. We built it on the Lord Jesus Christ and honoring him. And I'm so thankful for that. If what you're doing would fall apart, if you were removed, I challenge you, what are you building it upon? It's been three and a half years since Pastor Des exited this pulpit right here. Some people said the whole place would fall apart. You know what the greatest tribute to that man is? We're three and a half years later, and guess what? Bethesda hasn't fallen apart yet. Now, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. You think that's a credit to me? No, 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 no. It's a credit to a foundation that was laid by a man who sought the Lord, and he didn't build a church on his personality. He didn't build a church on anything except the rock, Christ Jesus, and we ought to be eternally grateful for that. Now, with all that said, there is an elephant in the room, and it's this. There's a reality here that we cannot ignore. Not all dads are good men. Not all fathers step up and invest in their children. Not all fathers dedicate themselves to God. Some dads are godless, selfish, cruel men. It's almost like they've orphaned their children. They're not men who are there for their sons and daughters. They don't give them a proper example in their lives. It's like like they've left their children fatherless. And if that's true for you, first of all, I'm so terribly sorry. Or if it's been the experience you've had, I don't want you to hang your head in shame today, nor be miserable the rest of this Father's Day, because Psalm 68 verse 5 tells us that God is a father to the fatherless. Which means this. If you belong to God, even if you don't got a daddy, you got a daddy. 
Romans says that once we become Christians, we receive his spirit. You receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Romans chapter 8. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, when you accept that you, you've sinned and you've fallen short in your life and you are willing to repent, which means change how you live, when you are willing to confess that Jesus will now be the Lord and master of your life, when, when you're willing to allow yourself to be buried in the waters of baptism and risen up to a new creature in Christ, when you've done all that, you get to call God your Father. Now listen to me carefully, and I say this extremely carefully. I don't mean if you just walked the aisle one time and felt sentimental and prayed a brief prayer and walked out and nothing ever happened. I may be challenging your culture, but I'm not challenging Scripture. What we're looking for here and what the difference is, those who have experienced regeneration, rebirth, new birth, not just a sentimental moment. We have been very guilty in the church of saying, well, just do this and this and this. And they walk right out the door, no different than they were when they walked in. Here's the difference. Is Christ being formed in you? Is there evidence that there has been, the regeneration process has taken place within you. Is something different? Is the old gone and you've embraced the new? Are you choosing to live by the word of God? Is there something new? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about being saved. Is Christ being formed in you? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. If Christ is being formed in you. And you're experiencing life in Jesus. And you've come to the point of surrendering all that you have and all that you are. Some people call it brokenness. I remember a process that I went through as a young man. Literally, it's as if everything was crushed within me. Crushed. There's nothing left. Right. When you have been through that process... That God has so taken and formed you and molded you and made you into what he's desiring you to be. And you're following him intently. Then you get the privilege of saying, he's my father and he's Abba Father to me. There's one last thing we need to address. And yes, I'm watching the clock for those of you who are nervous. <laughs> Ephesians 6 says this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. It's very simple, young people. Listen to me. Listen to me. You want to live long? You want to live long? Honor your father I said, you want to live long and things to go well with you? Honor your father and mother. Now, we know the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does that mean I've sinned? Absolutely. Does that mean you've sinned? I'm sure the answer is yes. Does that mean your parents have sinned? Absolutely. You know, I had the greatest mom and dad a man could ever have. But they sinned and fell short of the glory of God just like you and I have. All parents have sinned. All parents fall short of the glory of God. And frankly, it's hard for kids to honor imperfect parents. Sometimes it's really hard. But God teaches us that it is crucial that we still honor 
our parents. And so God made that the only commandment in the Ten Commandments to have a promise attached to it. It was the only commandment that said, if you do this, it will go well with you and you will enjoy long life on the earth. But why should I honor a father who isn't all he should be? Because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian. Because that's the only reason you should do anything in life. Once you become a Christian, God became your heavenly father. You and I belong to him and he calls us to minister to our earthly fathers. He calls us even to be missionaries to them. He calls us to share the joy and hope that Jesus brought into our lives with the ones who gave us life. Sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's not. As we close this morning, Pastor Brent, if you want to come, I want to be sure you notice one more verse and I'm, I'm about finished here. Just hold with me just a minute, please. One more verse that just so, in this fourth chapter of Proverbs, really wasn't part of the text, but it just so catches my attention. Because it's, it's like, it's the foundational thing. Oh, there's, a, there's another verse in there, verse 18, that's always been a personal favorite of mine. For the path of the just is like a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. The implication there, when you studied it all, it's, it, it, it tells you that it's, it's like the, the coming of dawn. As you walk, the sunrise is coming up, brighter and brighter day. And the truth is, as you walk into it, and the day gets brighter and brighter, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. And as the sun comes up, that day doesn't end because when you step off in, into it, you step into a place where there is no more night. The verse that catches my attention is verse 23. It says this. And this, if I could ask you to walk out of here with one thing today. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Would you say that with me? Guard your heart. Just, just one more time. Guard your heart. Where you see, whatever the heart loves, the ears will hear and the eyes will see. Whatever the heart loves, the ears will hear and the eyes will see. That's why we're told in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart. Oh, be careful, little eyes. Be careful, little ears. Keeping your heart clear and open. It's just, you know, the older I get, more life I live, more stuff I process, the more opportunity I have to become brittle because of the stuff of life, the more I need to hear, guard your heart. Don't, don't let there be a harbor. Don't, don't let there be a place for a harbor for anything to rest there that wouldn't be appropriate and healthy for you. Guard your heart. It's so critical for us. And it's what he says. Above all else, makes it a priority. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. I want all the fathers in the house to stand. I want to pray over you. All the fathers.
Lord, I bless you today for these men. And as I pray for them, I can't help but think of your divine plan and that which you destined and ordained since before the foundations of the earth, the plan for their life, for the children they would have, the grandchildren they would have. It's been all under your direction, all of it. But Lord, you know our frame and you know that we are but dust. So today I'm asking for a few things for these men. I'm asking for wisdom. You've told us if we need it, we could ask for it and you would give it liberally and lavishly. There's not a one of us that's standing here today, starting with me, that doesn't need abundant wisdom from the throne of God. We need those moments when we don't know what to do, those moments that you just enlighten our hearts. A flash comes through our mind, Lord. We need that so desperately because we need you. When we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, give us your wisdom. Lord, I'm praying for blessing to be upon these men today. Bless them in every way, Lord, that they need you. Thank you that you, are, you will bless them and prosper them in all of their ways according to the biblical understanding of prosper. I pray the favor of God to rest upon them with their family, with their work, with all that they set their hand to do. Let the favor of God rest upon them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for discernment for them today. I pray that as they face issues with their family, whether it's children or grandchildren or, or whatever it is, Lord, that they are facing, that you will give them just an, an understanding of what's happening. Just uh, there's a discernment. This is what's taking place that requires them being almost pulled away from the circumstance to get a broader view, Lord. Let them have understanding. This is what's happening so that they know how to pray and they know what action they should take and what action they should not take. Give them discernment today. So for these and all the other things, Lord, that we have need of, we give you blessing and we give you praise. And the church would say amen.